The year is 2000 and we welcome a new millennium. Star Wars is back in box offices and The Matrix is pushing the boundaries for cinematic prowess. The Y2K bug hits the world and we survive a digital virus from impacting us on a global scale. I'm sure no other virus will have the same impact in the future. Stanley Kubrick and Owen Hart had unfortunately passed away, but luckily the world would be graced with Lil Nas X. Yep. Oh yeah, SpongeBob SquarePants premieres its first episodes and Bill Clinton is acquitted from impeachment. I'm sure no other president will be as controversial or face any impeachment in their time in office either. Another thing happening, Napster is being sued by Metallica. Speaking of musicians, Carlos Santana sweeps the Grammys, picking up a record 9 Grammys for his album Supernatural, which would go on to be certified 15 times platinum in the US, which isn't bad considering a few years ago he found himself in a slump and without a record deal. But before we deep dive into the super impressive Supernatural album, a quick history lesson. Carlos Santana was born to parents Jose and Josefina Barragan de Santana. Immediately after Carlos Santana was born, the hospital staff gifted him with a fedora and Les Paul, preparing him for his future quest. He would, however, have to earn his signature moustache through trials by fire, or some soul sacrifice kind of thing. His early influences would range from B.B. King to Sly and Family Stone, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, Tito Puente and Mongo Santa Maria, as well as Miles Davis and Joel Coltrane. All of these styles from rock, blues, jazz and Latin would be infused in his guitar style and he would soon become a full-time musician in the San Francisco scene. Even being selected by future manager Bill Graham. Funny story on how the two met, Bill actually caught a young Carlos Santana breaking in through his office window to catch a Cream and Paul Butterfield blues band show at the Fillmore Auditorium. Ironically, his major breakthrough was at the same venue in 1966 when the same Paul Butterfield was too drunk to perform and so, to save the show, Graham selected Carlos along with some other musicians to fill in the slot. Around this time, Carlos would meet the future band members David Brown, Greg Rowley and Marcus the magnificent Malone. Although Marcus would leave before their first studio album due to personal reasons and would later serve time in prison before being reunited with Carlos in 2013. Bob Livingston would join on drums and these musicians along with Carlos Santana's would form the Santana Blues Band. However, Bob would also leave the band before they recorded their first album. This trend of musicians coming and going is a constant throughout the band's history, so I won't mention them all or what I would have to make another video just for that. His early performances can also be heard on the release Live at Fillmore 1968, which is well worth a playthrough. Before they went to record their first album, they would add Michael Shreve on drums, Michael Carabello and Jose Chapito Arias on percussions, forming the traditional Santana lineup. They would hit the studio to record their first self-titled album in 1969, which included classic tracks like Soul Sacrifice, Waiting, and covers of Latin jazz musicians Willy Bobos' Evil Ways, as well as a cover of Babaton de Alatonji's Jingo Lo Ba, otherwise 
referred to as Jingo, the later of which would also serve as inspiration for other musicians such as Fatboy Slim. This album would be a perfect backdrop for the changing times happening in San Francisco in 1969, and the then unknown band would be asked to perform at a small festival that year that would further help launch them into stardom. After Woodstock, their popularity would greatly increase and they would go on to release a follow-up with Abraxas, which included a few more cover songs including Black Magic Woman, which would become one of their signature songs. This song was originally performed by Fleetwood Mac, but like Jimi Hendrix's All Along the Watchtower, Santana made this song his own and is more well known by this cover version. The band would follow up its success with their third album, Santana 3, continuing the trend of self-titled albums. The following release would be more adventurous in sound than their last two albums. This album would also be the debut of Neil Sean. Most people would know Neil Sean's other band, Journey. But would also be the last album to have the original Santana Woodstock era lineup up until 2016. But I'll cover this later on in this episode. While on the topic of long gaps, <laughs> Santana holds several Guinness World Records, and one of them would be the longest gap between number one hits on the Billboard 200, with Jingo reaching number one in 1969, and later Smooth reaching number one in 1999. The next albums would show many lineup changes and style changes, beginning with Caravan Sarai shifting to an experimental jazz tone. This trend would continue throughout the 70s on Welcome and Boboleta until Amigos Festival and 1977's Moonflower shifted back somewhat to his original sound. At this point, what surprises me is how Santana wasn't able to capitalise on the disco movement or even the new wave energetic sound sphere of the 80s. I mean, if he changed his style with the times, I feel he could have continued his success during this stage of his career. I don't know, that's my opinion, I guess. Regardless, the downfall of Santana had begun. Santana was able to still sell well, achieving the old platinum and gold award for each release during this time, and would even achieve a Grammy for his 1987 album Blues for Salvador. But by the time Nevermind would drop, the music scene had shifted too far and made Carlos almost an obscurity. Despite waning sales and interest, Carlos Santana would continue to release albums under the Columbia label, with his last being 1990's Spirits Dancing in the Flesh. But Columbia would face mergers and a buyout by Sony in the 90s, and this would force Santana to sign with a new label, Polydor Records, in order to release an album in 1992 that would be a tribute to both Miles Davis and Bill Graham, who both passed away the year prior, and who were both big influences on Carlos Santana's early life. This album would be a commercial failure, and the album would not obtain any gold or platinum certification. The album is called Milargo, which is Spanish for Miracles. Hmm, I'm sure this won't be used in future album titles. This would be the only time Santana would use a different record label. He would go on to do a collaboration album with his brother George and nephew Carlos Hernandez called Santana Brothers. And the album cover would feature the trio with hands around a picture of a band that included Carlos and George's father, Jose. This album would also fail to make a commercial impact, and in 1997, Carlos's father would pass away. Carlos Santana would tell the Rolling Stone magazine in a future interview that he felt mostly numb and could not listen to music at this stage in his life. 
Luckily, he would become reinvigorated again and Clive Davis would sign him on to Arista Records, a label he also co-founded and helped launch Whitney Houston's career. Clive Davis also signed a young Carlos back in 1969 to Columbia Records and had faith in Santana's new outlook for his next musical venture, which would be a new album with the idea to collaborate with new musicians while playing his style of music. The record was going to go ahead with Clive's backing. Carlos had won him over by stating that if John Coltrane and Miles Davis could change their style late on in their career, he could update his sound too and be more radio friendly to change with the times. Santana would get the backing they needed but have the added pressure of setting their target to match sales of Santana's biggest selling album at the time, which was Abraxas at 4 million units sold in the US to that date. This was a big ask for a musician who a couple of years earlier had failed to sell a gold record and had not had a top 10 hit since 1983. Now, on to the tracks from the album. Dale Yaleo is the opening track and eases us into the new Santana sound. Now this next part I cannot confirm, but apparently this track is a reinterpretation of an existing song, Yaleo by Mother Says, from a release in 1991. I cannot find the original song or any details about this band, but the track has listed two writers on top of Carlos Santana, who are Shakara Modella and Christian Poloni. These guys were an 80s Afrobeats band such as Babongo Stars and consider in Santana has done plenty of cover versions in the past, I would believe that this was a variation at the very minimum of a song, even if it might be the wrong one. Something else to point out here is how clean the mix is comparative to previous albums and perfectly suits his guitar tone and style. The song tells of a love found in Paris and is sung both in Spanish and Swahili. The song is a perfect introduction for a previous Santana sound that all fans would have come to expect and I especially would love to point out the way each instrument works seamlessly to build up each other one, like the piano build up to the guitar solo about halfway in, and the back and forth between Carlos's guitar playing and the brass section. It's this back and forth of the instruments that are played as if they are two lovers intertwining in passion, and it's an incredible opener. Love of My Life featuring Dave Matthews and Carter Buford. Love of My Life is the following track and the guest musicians are Dave Matthews and Carter Buford who are part of the Dave Matthews Band, a jam band formed in the early 90s famous for songs such as Crash Into Me and Ants Marching. This song finds Carlos Santana changing pace to a slower soulful guitar piece compared to the earlier and energetic Dale Yellow. It also takes the melody from Brahms Piano Concerto Number no. 3 as mentioned with Rolling Stone. The song had a peculiar genesis. When his father died two years ago, Carlos found he couldn't listen to music. One day, while picking his son up from school, he turned on the car stereo. The first sound he heard was the melody from Brahms' piano, Concerto No. 3. That was the music, somewhat disguised, 
he began playing to Matthews. The guitar track on this song has a natural flow and intrinsic feel to it that captivates the listener to hang on to every note, and Dave Matthews delivers perfectly light vocals that Dave is known for in his slower songs. Carlos may have written this song as a dedication piece to his late father, but when Dave received the song, he wrote the lyrics with the love song in mind. Dave had this to say in the same interview to Rolling Stones. He gave me some lyrics, a couple of lines, and I didn't know what to do. I think he wrote it about his father. I wrote it about my lover. Dave Matthews, Rolling Stone. The lyrics are minimal, but leave a massive impact even when the song changes tempo. It bursts to life like a flower coming to spring. It's a solid follow-up track that flows well to the next track. Put Your Lights On, featuring Everlast. Put Your Lights On is the next track and opens with a guitar duet from Santana and Eric Schrode on acoustic guitar, otherwise known by his stage name, Everlast. So, who is Everlast? Besides possibly taking his stage name from a clothing brand he may have predominantly worn, Eric was part of the rap group House of Pain, best known for their hit song, Jump Around. Bet you didn't remember that lyric. Jeez, before Chris Brown made it popular, eh? I know it's an odd mix, and the song on the album is not some rapper meets rock god trying to chase the trend of new metal sound here, especially because that was big at the time. That would come later. No, what would have caught Santana's attention would have been Everlast's breakthrough solo album, Whitey Forward Sings the Blues, which shows a more acoustic meets hip-hop sound, in particular with the big song, What It's Like, which is a cautionary tale and has a lot of religious imagery. You see, by 1998, when this album was released, Everlast had gone from excessive partying, drinking, and everything that goes with the rock and roll lifestyle to giving up all drugs and alcohol and converting to Islam. Carlos Santana has a deep connection with religion, and despite performing on acid at Woodstock... Yeah, in the meantime, uh, you, you want some of this? And I was like, sure! You know, with the math between now like, yeah, I'll be fine by then. What was it? It was acid. <laughs> you know, it was LSD. Doesn't like drug use, so when the two got together to record this track, it's no real surprise it would use religious imagery in its lyrics. This aside, it's a solid slow track with Everlast on rhythm acoustic and his gritty vocal delivery, especially on the line, put your lights on. Put your lights on. The only part I'm not in line with was the odd guitar breakdown about halfway through the song. Although it's not breaking the song, it creates an odd gap in an otherwise seamless song. Africa Bamba 
Africa Bumba is the next track, and although it doesn't state it on the song, Santana is joined by the famous band out of Senegal, Toure Kundra, and kicks off with a bit of flamingo-style guitar, as well as vocals delivered in Spanish. The lyrics call out to all nations of South America, Asia, Africa, and Mexico to love one another. The guitar work by Carlos is as masterful as ever, and plays off perfectly with the singing. Carlos Santana even takes cues from B.B. King's style of guitar, where B.B. King would play the guitar when the singing had stopped, and when the singing resumed, he would stop playing guitar. For most of this track, Santana does the same thing. And at the end of the day, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's probably one of the best guitar tracks on this album, in my opinion, and usually overshadowed due to the following track. Smooth, featuring Rob Thomas. You know what's coming. You hear that? Gonna be a hot one. Smooth is the lead single that hit like a tidal wave upon release, crashing into the music scene. This song was absolutely everywhere and inescapable from radio stations. But despite the constant flogging and repetition of plays, this is one of those legendary songs that hasn't worn its welcome. That might be just me, but I'm sure a lot of Santana fans would agree with me in saying that they still enjoyed this track even after the 6 billionth playthrough. And what's not to enjoy? Matchbox 20 had some success the years prior with the post-grunge rock record Yourself or Someone Like You. This album would produce hits including 3AM and Push and was fairly generic in the way of post-grunge. It also sounded very similar to a few other bigger named artists who had released some albums just the years prior. Rob Thomas initially wrote this song thinking that another singer would be used as he stated to Billboard in an interview. My first thought was George Michael. In fact, it was George I had in mind when I recorded the vocals. If you listen to the melody and the cadence, in fact, it's an attempt to emulate his style. When it was released as a single, it would top the charts for 12 weeks at number one, making the single go platinum in the US and double platinum in my country of Australia. I mean, dear Australians, do take a moment to have a look at the list I have on screen for you now. This is the top album sales for the year 2000. And as you can see, Santana's at four times platinum. I mean, it beat out artists such as Silverchair's The Best Of, ACDC's Stiff Upper Lip, and Slim Dusty's Looking Forward, Looking Back, as well as Rodney Roode's Your Mum's Bum. I mean, these are just Australia's favourite artists right here. But back to the single sales for Smooth in Australia. While sounding impressive, means they sold around 140,000 units. But we had a population of around 19 million at the time, which meant one in every 135 people in Australia have a copy of Santana's smooth single somewhere in their home right now. And I cannot understate how many times I heard this song around the year 2000. It was everywhere. On classic hit radio stations and contemporary adult rock stations and even the newer FM radio stations. I mean, it was just used everywhere. There is an interesting point made that while this song can be about chasing a love interest, its title can also double as the smooth transition around this time for 60s and 70s rock artists to shift from what was considered rock music to classic rock and record material that would come to be known as adult contemporary rock. This song certainly does see the diametric pendulum shift in musicians from those eras mostly adjusting their style for their audience. I could go on forever with examples, but you know it's true. 
What was once music against the man was soon becoming golden oldie hits and just songs used in various ads. Diet Coke. Hold up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. That was only a 30 year gap from their peaks. And the 90s are now. <gasps> God, history is repeating itself. Another argument is if the single carried the album or not. I mean, in the day and age before you could simply pull out your phone to hear an album, you either had to judge an album by what people told you, or you could read in a magazine, or what you heard on the radio, or if you went to the record store and they had the headphones you could use and listen to the album. That's only if it was in the machine at the time. So to a large degree, Smooth did carry the album, but not entirely. The thing is, the rest of the material on the album also lived up beyond the single. So the single, to me, anyway, doesn't entirely carry the album. This song would go on to win three Grammys for Song of the Year, Record of the Year, and Best Pop Collaboration with Vocals. Do You Like The Way, featuring Lauren Hill and CeeLo. The track that follows up smooth and all previous songs has to be epic, otherwise the album's tempo can fall apart. After all, who wants to be part of that mid-album slump? What follows is easily the weakest link on the album. The choice of guest vocalists are interesting, only in hindsight. On one hand, there is Lauren Hill, who at the time was coming off a massive album, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill and the World which also has a track featuring Carlos Santana on it. And the world seemed to be in her hands. Unfortunately, she was also very hard to get to see live, and she would constantly be late to her own concerts, or even cancel at a moment's notice. Not to mention the odd and controversial MTV Unplugged performance released in 2002. And there are some very odd interlude tracks on this album. Not saying it's unheard of if you know the MTV Unplugged series, in particular Nirvana and Alice in Chains. No, the interludes on Lauren Hill's MTV Unplugged appearance would be different. There is an interlude track on that album that goes for 12 minutes. If you want a full breakdown on this album, I would highly recommend checking out Todd in the Shadows discussion, which I will link below. Now, moving on to the other guest, we have CeeLo Green, who had success with his group Goody Mob and their release Soul Food and Still Standing. Of course, he would be most famous for his future 2010 hit Forget You, aka Fuck You. He would find controversy in 2014 for his tweets regarding a court case and while I'm not going to repeat them quote for quote, needless to say they are pretty disgusting. After this spectacular meltdown he more or less faded from the memory of everyone. I felt it necessary to discuss these artists as I cannot draw myself to discuss this song too much. If the song was cut from the album I would be happier for it. I understand why on paper it felt necessary to record this track but in hindsight I felt they made a misstep here trying to follow a trend. Maria Maria featuring the product GNB. Maria Maria was the second single from this record and to be controversial here I find this song passable at the best. 
at least in my opinion, with the saving grace being Santana's guitar solo in the song. It's nowhere near as bad as the one before, but it follows a similar style, and you will soon understand there is a reason why. Maria Maria was produced by Jerry Duplay and Wycliffe Jean, both of whom were part of the band The Fugees, along with the aforementioned Lauren Hill. Now you can see the connection, eh? So, who are Jerry Duplay and Wycliffe Lejean, and why were they producing this track on a Santana album? Besides being in the Fugees, Jerry was a producer for other artists like 98 Degrees on their 98 Degrees and Rising album, Fuji's album The Score, and fellow band member Wycliffe's solo album The Carnival, along with Jamaican rapper Cannibus. Get it? Can I bus? Because it sounds like the drug. <laughs> anyway, that's not really impressive though, so how did he score this role? Oh, I forgot to mention the year before he scored big with Whitney Houston, My Love Is Your Love, as well as Destiny Child's second album, The Writings On The Wall. So that launched him into superstardom. And to be fair, since then he has gone on to become a decent producer, even working with DJ Khaled and Justin Bieber on that I'm The One song. I feel if the song was produced by him alone, it would have been very different. But unfortunately, the eclectic Mr. Gene had ideas of his own. To give you an idea of Wycliffe, he did a Kanye before Kanye by putting a bid in to run for president of Haiti back in 2010. Spoiler alert, he did not become president. In fact, his bid was rejected. Anyway, back to the music. Wycliffe drew inspiration from another hip-hop act for this song in Wu-Tang Clan's Wu-Tang Clan Ain't Nothing To Fuck With. Yes, you heard that right. That is the gangster hip-hop group Wu-Tang Clan that I just quoted. That is the inspiration he drew for the Latino rock artist Santana. What a time we live in. Perhaps also a sign of the times, but Maria Maria would go on to win a Grammy for best pop performance by a duo or group with vocals. And unfortunately, the product GNB would not get the recognition they deserved with this track. Migra. Migra is up next and is another criminally overshadowed track that follows a huge hit. I'm sure fans of Santana enjoy the style of the song that finds this song return into a more back to roots kind of sound and many fans might be surprised to find out this is a protest song against the immigration and naturalization service which Migra is the slang term for this branch. I won't get too much into the politics of this track and as I mentioned this track is probably the most overlooked song on this stellar album. Despite the subject matter the song even gives a jovial feel to it with the percussion and drumming section doing great work here carrying the song. In particular, the horn section's doing an amazing job playing against the guitar of Carlos, almost like a back and forth situation. Corazon Espinado featuring Mana. Corazon Espinado is roughly translated to Broken Heart and is one of the last singles from this album. It also features the Mexican rock band Mana. They made their breakthrough with their 1992 album... I'm not even going to try and pronounce that. Anyway, they are considered one of the most successful Latin rock groups and this album would see a resurgence in sales after the release of the Supernatural album. 
It must be an ominous task to write a song alongside a legend like Carlos, but the band do amazing work in providing an incredible rhythm section throughout this song, letting Santana take the reins as needed to take lead and let the song soar. I can absolutely see this song coming from Cabana Bars in Miami at the dusk during a warm summer. It really has a solid chilled vibe to it and makes one transcend to another world. Hey, maybe I just have a wild imagination, but that's what I feel when I hear this. Wish It Was, Eagle Eye Cherry. Did you like the last track? Did you love that classic Santana guitar sound? Well, the follow-up track, Wish It Was, has your back. Eagle Eye Cherry joins Santana to croon the vocals here. His works beforehand included a solo album released two years earlier called Desireless with hit song Save Tonight. Other musicians joining the foray include keyboardist Money Mark who collabed with Beastie Boys, Omar Rodriguez Group and John Butler Trio. On top of this, producer John King joins us on this track who also worked with Beastie Boys and Beck on Odelay as well as the first Tenacious D album and a bunch of other albums and songs. And Michael Simpson, who, can you guess, also worked with Beastie Boys and Beck on Odelay. Hey, it says here he did scores for films like Zoolander, Spongebob Squarepants movie, hey, we made another Spongebob reference in this episode, Road Trip, and Freddy Got Fingered. Hmm. That's weird. Well, back to the music, and it's got a laid-back sunny Sunday acoustic sound to it. The vocal delivery is on point by actor-turned-musician Eagle Eye Cherry here, and I would like to take a moment to point out the keyboard parts by Chester Thompson. In case you aren't familiar with Chester, he was one of the longest-serving keyboarders for Santana between 1983 to 2009. He also worked as a drummer and touring musician for Genesis, as well as Steve Hackett and Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. Quite the career, really. El Farol is the next track and takes a slow, laid-back approach, slowing right down to allow an instrumental flamenco-style dance song. The guitar work ebbs and flows naturally within the percussion and acoustics, and the rhythm section is joined by the guest drummer Greg Bissonette, who was the drummer for the first three solo David Lee Roth albums. I've mentioned before a few times about chilled songs, but this one takes the crown. This song can soothe anyone, really. In English, the song title means the lantern, and I guess when you have an ambiguous title like this with the richly textured and layered Santana guitar work, it can add meaning or steer the listener to some kind of purpose. I mean, the song could have been called Warm Hearty Soup and probably would achieve the same outcome. Regardless, it's an awesome song I truly enjoy from this album. Primavera, the last track to the Supernatural album and what a way to close it. Primavera means spring and won the Grammy for best rock instrumental performance to help Carlos secure his record-breaking nine Grammys. The song itself seems to deal with the joy of new life and spring itself brings the seed for new life. We have guest appearances for the final track in Spock's Beard's drummer and voice actor Jimmy Keegan, 
Longtime session guitarist and touring guitarist for War, JB Eckel, bass player for Toto, Mike Baccaro, and the main producer for the Supernatural album, who I will cover more in a bit, Casey Porter. The song itself is another solid jam between these bright musicians, and in particular, the bass line is on point here. While bass players get the short end of the stick, I cannot sing Mike's praises enough here with the rather unorthodox bass chord progressions that almost sound like a guitar solo at parts, but nothing to steal away from Carlos Santana's thunder, and we know he could if he wanted to. No, this bass line and guitar work is akin to two dancers moving their perfected routine on the dance floor and the idealistic way to end this star-studded album as the guitar slowly fades away like a sunset on a perfect day. The album had a lot going for it before release. From a reinvigorated guitar god to a plethora of new musicians to elevate Santana's status moving forward. On top of this, the Latin music scene was thriving and on top of the pop charts in 1998 thanks to musicians like J-Lo and Ricky Martin. So it's no surprise that upon release of the first single, Smooth, the album was out of the gates. People may say it was a worthy gamble by Clive Davis, but in the record industry, there seldom are gambles. It's more similar to a chess match, and Clive had prepared his board well for this next move. Davis would incorporate the likes of Casey Porter to help take Santana to that pop direction he wanted to move to, and Casey had the track record to do just that. After all, he had worked on two Ricky Martin records, even helping on a track, The Cup of Life, which was used in the 1998 World Cup. Yep, that banger would help launch Ricky's career. Clearly, KC had his finger on the Latino pop scene's pulse, and this helped in the sound for the newest venture. It's hard to argue that it all came together perfectly, but it cannot be understated that the timing was ripe for the age of Santana as well. 1999 would be the year for Santana's resurgence. It's worthy to mention here that the future versions of the album would also include two tracks, which include a jam piece called The Calling, featuring Eric Clapton, who asked after the Grammys to be included in any future songs if he had time. The other main track would be the song A Day of Celebration, which isn't bad, it's similar to his 80s sound, and I can see why it may have been left off the initial copies, but it's not a bad song overall. But I can see why it was left off the first run copy. A two disc copy would also join the foray, which would see covers of Bob Marley's Exodus, a cover of Lighthouse's One Fine Morning, the instrumental version of Smooth, a remix of Carranza and Espinado, and some other original songs and left over tracks with guests like Rain Down on Me featuring Dave Matthews and Angel Love featuring Product GMB. So, some you can understand were cut due to limitations, and others may have been left cut for obvious reasons. I haven't heard the full Legacy Edition as some of the tracks are not included on Spotify, and to be honest, I don't care about hearing these additional songs. For me, it's about that original album. My overall perspective on the album? Well, this album did to Carlos Santana's career and Latin rock what Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy did to New Zealand. It put both of them back on the map and for all to see and enjoy. Hell, it even launched a bunch of careers from the musicians who joined Santana on this album. 
After this, everyone wanted to work with him, and Carlos rose from the ashes like a guitar-playing phoenix. While nearly impossible to narrow down, the best tracks, or at least the ones that I keep coming back to, are Love of My Life, Corazon Espenado, Dale Yaleo, and of course, Smooth. The album is deserving of 10 million chilies on that spicy scale. It's a red-hot blend of Latin rock, salsa, and pop, and is a fantastic listen from start to finish, with the exception of Do You Like The Way. If you are unfamiliar with Santana, then this is a perfect starting point. It cannot be understated the impact Santana's Supernatural had on both his career and the music scene. On one hand, it saved Santana from failure and reintroduced Santana to a new generation. As I mentioned at the beginning of this video, this album went 15 times platinum in the US, selling over 20 million copies worldwide. For scale, Pink Floyd's The Wall and The Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club went 11 times platinum, Michael Jackson's Bad was 8 times platinum, and the legendary Nevermind album was 10 times platinum. So to say this is a Phoenix Rising case would be an understatement. On the other hand, the impact of this album would help shape the future of Latin music for pop artists like Shakira and Enrique Iglesias, as well as rock acts like At The Drive-In and The Mars Volta. I think it's fair to say this album shaped the music scene for the next couple of years after its release and has continued to be an influence on the future sound of Santana, with multiple albums released after Supernatural done in the same style, such as 2002's Shaman, 2005's All That I Am, 2014's Corazon, and his latest release 2021's Blessings and Miracles, which I covered on an episode of 5 Minute Review and will put a link here for those that are interested on my thoughts on this album. All of these albums will continue the pop music and Latin rock blend while contributing with musicians such as Metallica's Kirk Hammett, Aerosmith Steven Tyler, Traffic Steve Winwood, Ziggy Marley, Seal, Macy Gray, P.O.D. and Pitbull, just to name a few. He would eventually reunite with a few of the original members from the Woodstock era on a Back to Roots album on Santana 4, but in the end, Carlos is more focused on this new sound and some might say it's a bit of a sellout move. But, to be fair, when innovation grabs you as an artist, then it's hard to stop, especially when you are enjoying the music you play. Like I mentioned before, if you are not familiar with Santana, then this is a perfect starting point, showing the guitarist flair for the Latin music scene fused perfectly with pop music. And from there, you can enjoy his other music. Thank you everyone for listening to this special episode on Santana's album, Supernatural. This episode took a little longer to make, obviously due to the research required, so please leave a comment below, like the video and share it with your friends. Also I do 5 minute reviews on new music, so click subscribe to our channel to keep up to date with our newest videos. We also have our main podcast, Live Listen to Race, which discusses musicians in a game. Thank you all, please be sure to check out our socials at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Live Listen Erased. And everybody, stay spicy. Give me your heart, make it real, or else forget about it. <laughs>